If you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn with me this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. While you're looking that up, I want to remind you that everyone in this room, everyone on planet Earth has a true north. We have something or someone from which we determine what is true. For some of us, it's our intellect, our ability to reason. If we can reason it out, if we can understand it, then it must be true. For others of us, it's our experience, what we feel. If we've experienced it, then it must be true. And then for others of us, it's our traditions, the things that we've been taught throughout life from people that we respect. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who, who are Christians, our true north, our source of truth is the Word of God. The living Word of God, Jesus, and the written Word of God, the Bible. And so whenever we open up God's Word, it is giving us truth in whatever it says. From cover to cover, God's Word is giving us truth. Now the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 90, teach us to number our days, to recognize how few they are, help us to spend them as we should. The older I get, the more I realize how true that is. Our days here on this earth are fewer and fewer the older we get. And it seems like time starts passing by quicker and quicker. It seems like just several years ago that I was in my early 20s standing at the front of the church in Hartsville, South Carolina, Lakeview Baptist Church, watching my soon-to-be bride walk down that aisle. It seems like it was just several days ago that our firstborn son, Jonathan, was born and I, I cut the umbilical cord there in the delivery room and I held him up there in my arms and I gave him back to God. And it seems like just hours later that our other three kids were born. And now, I'm 60 plus years old. And not only have we had four kids, we now have ten grandkids. And we're probably going to have some more on the way. And time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. And the older I get, the more I realize the older I get. I mean, when I was back in my 30s and even my early 40s, I would, I would challenge any teenager, any college student to a race, and I would believe that I could outrun them in a 100-yard dash. If I tried to run 100 yards right now, I'd pull a muscle, I'd tear something, I'd end up in the emergency room. Back when I was in my, my mid-30s, we were living in Titusville, Florida, and it was a Saturday night. And we heard this noise out in our yard. And we went and we looked out the window and there was two high school boys out there. There were TP in our yard. You know what that is, right? When they're just putting toilet paper over every, on everything. As I opened up the front door and I said, boys, you're caught. They took off running. They just took off running. They didn't have any respect for me. And so I was in my pajamas and I took off running after them. About halfway around the block, I caught them. I tackled them, I took their keys, and I said, when all the toilet paper is cleaned up out of the yard, you can get your car keys back. Now today, if someone did that at our house, I'd just open up the front door and say, hey, could you leave a few rolls on the front porch? We're going to need them at our age. I mean, things change as you get older. 
Several weeks ago, our student ministry went to a trampoline park. And they posted this video of Matt and Stephen. And they were, they were jumping on this wall, turning flips on that wall into the balls, into the whatever there is at a trampoline park. And I thought to myself, back when I was in my 40s, I could still do two and a half flips off of a diving board. I don't even know if I can dive off of a diving board anymore. I mean, things change as you get older. Time really does keep on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. And as we get older, we begin to look back at our life and we ask ourselves all kinds of questions. Was it worth it? Some of the things that I did. Has my life counted? Have I made a difference in life? I think that's questions that we all ask. And regardless of whether you're my age or older or you're much younger, one day, someday soon, you're going to find yourself asking those kinds of questions. Because we're all looking for meaning. We're all looking for purpose. We all want our life to count. And that's what Solomon is writing about in in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He's trying to find meaning. He's trying to find purpose in life under the sun. That's what he calls life here on planet earth apart from God. Living life our way on our terms. Life under the sun. And Solomon discovers that life under the sun, it's empty. It's wearisome. It's meaningless. And Solomon tried everything imaginable. He tried education. He tried pleasure. He tried Money and possessions, he tried work, he tried everything. But at the end of it all, he said, everything is empty. Everything is useless. And so in chapter 3, he begins to sit back and become a philosopher. And he begins to talk to us a little bit about how to use our time. Understand. The Bible is written by men, but it's inspired by God. And so as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we're reading Solomon's perspective on life, but we're reading what God wants us to read. And so as we get to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and Solomon begins to talk about time, I believe that he tells us some things that will help us Better manage our time so that when we come to the end of our life, we won't face eternity with regrets. Because no one wants to come to the end, be sitting in that hospital bed or that hospice bed or whatever else it may be and looking eternity face to face, square in the eyes and and think, man, I've messed up. I've lived my life the wrong way. And so how can you and I live our life in a way that when we come to the end of our life, we'll say, man, it's been good. I think my life has been pleasing to God. I believe Solomon gives us four things. He tells us the first thing we need to do is we need to trust God in every circumstance of life. We need to trust him in everything. And he tells us that in in verses 1 through 11. Listen to what he says. He says, for everything there is a season. A time for every activity under heaven. Time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to harvest. 
a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be quiet and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet, listen to what he says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. So Solomon begins this section by telling us that there is a time and a season for everything. And then he ends this section by telling us that God makes everything beautiful in its own time. And in between, he gives us four statements. He gives us four, 14 contrasts. And the secret to contentment in life is learning how to trust God in all of these contrasts in life. Because understand, life is a series of good and bad times. Life is a series of happy times and sad times. Life is a series of up moments and down moments. And if we don't learn to trust God in it all, then we're going to be miserable in life. Now, notice what Solomon says. He begins by saying, there is a time to be born and a time to die. Those are the bookmarks of our human existence on planet Earth. Every one of us are born if we are alive today. And every one of us, though we don't like to talk about this, we don't like to discuss it, it's kind of taboo, every one of us, we're going to die. I want you to look me in the eyes. If Jesus tarries, you're going to die. And some of you are going to die a lot sooner than you anticipate dying. Birth and death are all a part of our existence on planet earth. And Solomon is telling us that neither our birth nor our death is an accident. God has a plan and a purpose in mind for them both. What that means in regard to birth is there are no accidental births. There may be some accidental pregnancies on your part or on someone else's part. But understand, God has planned every single life that is conceived in the womb. God has planned it. God has designed it. And though I don't understand everything about, about death, the Bible says in Hebrews that it is appointed unto man once to die. That, that literal Greek text says man has an appointment with death. Now, I don't know. I, I really don't know if that means that, that our days are numbered and God already has the number in place like he talks about in Psalms or whether that's just a generality saying that, that we each are going to have an appointment with death. But here's what I know. I know that every one of us, we are born. Every one of us, we're going to die. And what we do in between is going to determine how we live our life, and how we face eternity. Then he says there is a time to plant and a time to harvest. Now, farmers understand that. If you're ever going to harvest something, someone has to plant something. Would you agree? You're never going to harvest without someone planting. And for most of us, we have to plant the seed, and then we have to water the seed, and then we have to cultivate the seed, then we have to pull the weeds out, and if we work it properly, there will come a time 
where we harvest. Now the problem with many people today is they want to harvest without planting. But you can't do that. In any area of life, you can't do that. I mean, if you want to be a success in a certain field of life, then you have to plant some seeds. You have to work. You have to prepare the ground for what you want to do. Or you're never going to see the harvest that you desire. There's a time to plant. There's a time to harvest. Then he says there's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build up. Sometimes we have to put to death habits, attitudes in our life before we can ever see healing or growth in our life or in our relationships. You see, life is a series of tearing down and building up. The prophet Jeremiah was told by God when he was born that I have appointed you to uproot and tear down. And then he said, I've appointed you to build up. You see, there are things that we tear down as we're going through life. And there are other things that we build up as we're going through life. And then he says this, there is a time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. Now we as Baptists, we, we haven't kind of grasped that dance thing yet. I've told my wife, we need to get some dance lessons. I mean, because I want to dance. I mean, what's that, what's that dance that everybody does where they, they wiggle or woogie or starts with a W? Wobble. Wobble, yeah. I mean, I see people wobbling, you know, at these parties. And I go, I want to wobble. And my body just doesn't, doesn't wobble very good. I mean, I went to my nephew's wedding and everybody was out there dancing and shaking their leg and wobbling and weaving and whatever else, wiggling. And man, I was thinking, I want to wiggle. My wife said, no, you don't. You, 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 you don't want to wiggle. But what is that talking about? This isn't talking about there's a time for us to take dance lessons. He's saying there's a time to cry, a time to laugh, there's a time to grieve, there's a time to dance. There's seasons in our life. There's seasons in our life of hurt and pain and sorrow. There are seasons in our life of joy and celebration, aren't there? About four years ago, my wife and I, had, had both of these seasons within a 36-hour period. Uh, on a Friday morning, we, we woke up to find our middle son dead. Within 36 hours, our youngest son was marrying the love of his life. A girl who has become a daughter to us. A girl who has gifted us with two beautiful, one very rambunctious, but two beautiful granddaughters. In, in a short period of time, we went through grief and pain and sorrow that, that parents shouldn't have to go through. And then we went through a time of great joy as we watched our son and our daughter become one together. It was a great thing, but life is all about seasons. And then he says there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones. Again, in, in the farming community of Palestine, they would have understood this. When you planted seeds in Palestine, before you ever would till the soil, you would have to remove stones. I mean, the ground was filled with rocks. And so you'd have to scatter the stones before you could ever plant seed. But then he said there's a time to gather stones. You gather stones so you can build walls of protection around your cities. You gather stones so that you can build homes to live in. There are times that you scatter. There are times that you gather. Then he said there's a time to brace and a time to turn away. 
that could be a job, a relationship, that could be a variety of things, but there's, there's seasons even in those things. And some of you teenagers, not you who are married, but some of you who are teenagers may be in a relationship and, and it may be that God's saying, it's time to step away. It's time to step away from this relationship because it's not what I have for you. And then he says there's a time to search and a time to quit searching my word. Let me just let me give a word of advice to men who are married or men who want to be married. If your wife ever asks you to find something in her pocketbook, gracefully refuse. Gracefully refuse. Because that pocketbook is filled with so much stuff that you're going to begin digging and you're going to dig and you dig and you're going to dig and you're going to wonder, where did all this stuff come from? And all of a sudden you're going to find wild animals, you're going to have, find plants growing, you're going to find all kind of stuff. There's a time to search, there's a time to stop searching. There's a time, listen to what it says, there's a time to keep and a time to throw away. I love you, babe. I love you. My wife, she loves to keep. She doesn't like to throw away or give to Mission Columbia or whatever else. If you come to our house, you'll notice that my wife has a, has a big closet. It's a big closet. I've got the smaller closet. I don't mind that. It has a big closet, a big, a big walk-in closet. But you can't walk in her closet. If you do, you can break an ankle. You can, you, you can hurt your hip. I mean, because there's stuff scattered all on the floor. I mean, everywhere. There's not any room to put one other hanger on, on the clothes, on, on, to hang any other thing in the closet. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I go, babe, we need to go through your closet. It's a time to keep. And a, there's a time to give away. Well, I may wear that. Maybe you hadn't worn it in 15 years. You're probably not going to wear it. There's a time to keep and there's a time to throw away. There's a time to tear, a time to mend. Most people say that this is speaking of grief as well because in biblical days when people were overcome with grief, they would tear their garments. There was time to tear, a time to mend. Then he says there's a time to be quiet and a time to speak. Boy, do we need to learn that today, amen? Both in person and goodness gracious on social media. Can, can I just give you a word of advice? You don't have to let everyone know every thought you have. You really don't. I mean, we just sit back and say, I've got to speak my mind. No, you don't. Because if you speak your mind, people may realize what's in your mind. And it will be frightening. Really. Sometimes we just need to be quiet and listen. But there are other times that we do need to speak up. You see, wisdom comes when we know when to listen and when to speak up. And then he says there's a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There are things that God loves, there are things that God hates. Did you know that? And if God hates certain things, then certainly you and I should hate those things, right? In Psalms chapter 97 verse 10 it says, let those who love the Lord hate evil. We, we don't hate the people who are caught up in evil. But we hate the evil. 
And we do everything we can to eradicate that evil. In Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty, prideful eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension against brothers. There are things that God hates. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. There are times that we call truces and we say we don't need to fight. But understand, there are times when God's people are called to fight. You see, what is Solomon saying? Solomon is saying that life is filled with seasons. Life is filled with, with different moments, good and bad, painful and joyful. And the key to contentment in life is learning to trust God in it all. In, in verse 11, Solomon says this. He says, God makes everything beautiful in its own time. Another translation says it this way. God makes everything happen at just the right time. And God does. One of the things that I've discovered is I don't know everything. And I've discovered that if I can simply learn to trust God and believe what the Bible says, that he loves me and he wants what's best for me, and if I just trust him, man, my life is going to go so much smoother. I don't understand all the situations and circumstances that happen in life. And I certainly don't understand the tragic things that we face in life. But I got to tell you something. I've learned, I've learned that whatever happens, I'm going to trust God. Why? Romans 8, 28. We know that, that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord, who were called according to his purpose. We know that if we love God, God is working all things out for our good. Even those things that are painful and hurtful, those things that we don't understand, we can't see light through the tunnel, but we trust God. And when we do, life is going to be so much better. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1 is talking about the hardships that he faced in life, the pain that he went through. And understand, I want you to hear me. Nobody in this room has experienced the type of hardships and pain that the Apostle Paul went through. And this is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, this happened so that we might learn to trust, not in ourselves, but in God. Paul said, the reason that I've gone through these painful times is so that I and you can learn to trust God through it all. Don't trust yourself. Here's what I've come to learn. Either you're going to trust God in every circumstance of life, even when you don't understand, or, hear me, you're going to risk becoming a bitter person your choice you trust him even when you don't understand or you risk becoming bitter trust God in everything second truth he teaches imagine today is your last day imagine that today is your last day Tim McGraw wrote a song live like you were dying and in that song he says that this I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me and a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options, about sweet times. I asked him, 
when it sank in that this really might be the real end? How did it hit you when you got that kind of news? Man, what did you do? He said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull main, full man chew. I'm not recommending that you do that. But listen to what he says next. He says, and I love deeper. And I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. He said, I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. And I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition. And I went three times that year. I lost my dad. I finally read the good book. And I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. He said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Like tomorrow was a gift. And you've got eternity to think about what you'd do with it. What could you do with it? What did I do with it? What would I do with it? We need to live every day like it's our last. Because the reality is, it could be, couldn't it? I mean, some of you are younger than me. Some of you are about my age. Some of you are older than me. But here's the bottom line. I could step off this stage in 15 minutes or so and drop dead of a heart attack. I could have a stroke and it kills me. I mean, the fact of the matter is, most of us who, who die, I mean, it hits us quick and it hits us without us being prepared for it. And that's the problem. We step into eternity and we're not prepared for it. James said this, he said, for the length of your days is as uncertain as the morning fog. Now you see it, soon it is gone. It's here and it's gone. So how do we live? That's what Solomon tells us. And in verses 11 through 13, he tells us three things we need to do as we live our life as if today was the last day. Listen to what he says. He, God, has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labors. Now there are three things there that I want to give you. Solomon said, first of all, that we need to make sure we're ready for what's next. He said, God has planted eternity in the human heart. In other words, there's something deep within us there's something deep inside of us that is drawing us for the what's next all of us are born with this innate knowledge that there's something more to this life that this life as it is is not all there is there's something more after we breathe our last breath now, I know, I know that the pseudo-intellectuals today, there are more and more that claim to be atheists, and they say that when you die, you die. But I want you to know that I don't buy that. I think most of the people that say that, they don't really believe that. And they come to the end of their life, and they're still looking out into eternity, wondering, is there something more? Am I ready? Why is that? It's because God has planted eternity in the human heart. 
God created us to be eternal beings. He made us to live forever. And we know deep inside that even though we die, like Job said, we will live again. We know that. And so the question is, am I ready for what next? Because I'm here to tell you, the problem with most of us is we spend our lives preparing for a job. We spend our lives preparing for retirement. But we don't spend our lives preparing for what comes after all of that. What comes after death. And what comes after death is forever. And we better get ready for it. And I want you to know the only way that we can get ready is to know our creator and give our life to him. You you see the Bible says God created you. And he created you for a relationship. Genesis 1 makes that clear. But you and I, our ancestors, those who came before us, they rebelled against God. They sinned against God. And that sin has infected each and every one of us. Genesis 3 makes that clear. The wages of our sin is death for every one of us. But Jesus came to restore what we've lost. Jesus came so that we could be made right with God again. And the only way we can prepare for eternity is through Jesus. So are you ready for what's next? The next thing that Solomon said is we need to do good. That phrase, enjoy ourselves, in the New Living Translation, it literally means in the Hebrew to do good. Solomon isn't saying that you need to enjoy yourself in this passage. He's saying you need to do good to other people. And that's what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 8 and following, he says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by work so that no one can boast. And then he says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, listen, to do good works. God created us to do good works. He created us to do good. That's why, listen, that's why when we live selfless lives, giving ourselves, giving our abilities, giving our resources to help other people, man, we feel fulfilled. We feel good about it. But when we live selfish lives, self-absorbed lives, there's still this emptiness inside. And that's why. Because we were created by God to do good. And so we prepare for what's next, we do good, and then we enjoy life. Solomon says that we should eat and drink and enjoy the fruit of our labors. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your life. I got to tell you, there are some Christians that walk around like they've been sucking lemons all day long. And, And understand, listen, listen, we need to speak out against wrong. We need to stand up against the injustices that we see. But at the same time, you need to understand that God wants us to enjoy ourselves here on planet Earth. He wants us to enjoy life. So imagine today is your last. What do you do? You get ready for eternity. You spend some time doing good. And you enjoy yourself. The third thing Solomon says is we need to maintain an attitude of gratitude. Notice what he says at the end of verse 13. He says, for these are gifts from God. 
what? Well, everything is a gift from God. We need to understand that everything we have is a gift from God. Every breath that we take is a gift from God. I've heard people say before, well, I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. No, you're not. There's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. I've come to understand the older I get that everything that I have of value, everything that I've done of significance is a gift from Almighty God. I am worthy of nothing that I have. It is a gift. And so that's why we go through life with our hands open like this to God. Realizing that everything we have comes from Him. And so we hold it out to God saying, it's yours. However you want to use it. If you want to take it. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. Because it is yours. We maintain that attitude of gratitude. Recognizing that everything that is good in our life comes from God. And then finally... We expect to give an account of how we will spend, how we spend our time. Notice what Solomon says in verses 14 and 15. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing will be added to it. Nothing will be taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Men will fear him. Whatever is, has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. Now let me be honest with you. Verses 14 and 15, particularly verse 15, are some of the most difficult Hebrew verses in the Old Testament to interpret. That's why if you, you look at a Bible that has various translations of this text, it will translate this verse different ways. But I believe the way the NIV translates this really says what God is trying to get across here. God will call our past into account. Every one of us will give an account to God for our life. In Romans 14, verse 12, Paul says, Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. One day, we will all stand before God and give an account of our life. There are some believers who think that since we're saved by grace, we're not going to have to give an account of our life. That's foolish. If we believe that the Bible is the word of God and it is truth, then we've got to believe that everything that it says is true. And what that means is that even though I am saved by grace and my salvation is secure and nothing will ever change that, I'm going to still stand before the judgment seat of God and I'm going to give an accounting of how I live my life, how I use the gifts and the opportunities that God has given me for His glory. We're all going to have to do that. You're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God, and we're going to give an accounting for how we've used our life. And if we put these four things into practice, we trust God in every circumstance. We live our life like today is our last. We maintain this attitude of gratitude, and we expect, we understand that one day we're going to stand before God, and we live our life understanding that we're going to give an account, then it's going to change the way that we live. I found a poem a number of years ago that I've kept. I want to read it to you. It goes like this. I looked upon a farm one day that once I used to own. The barn had fallen to the ground. The fields were overgrown. The house in which my children grew, where we had lived for years, I turned to see it broken down and I brushed aside the tears. 
I looked upon my soul one day to find it too had grown. With thorns and nettles everywhere, the seeds neglect had sown. The years had passed while I had cared for things of lesser worth. The things of heaven I let go while tending the things of earth. To Christ I turned with bitter tears and cried, O Lord, forgive. I haven't much time left for thee, not many years to live. The wasted years forever gone, the days I can't recall. I could live those days again, I'd make him Lord of all. Well, here's the deal. You can't live the past days again. They're gone. But what you can do is you can make the best use of the time that you have left. And regardless of who we are, that's what we need to do. So what that means is for some of us who are younger, teenagers, college students, for some of us who are younger, that may mean that God's calling us into missions or ministry to give our lives fully and completely for the sake of the gospel. For some of us who are more middle-aged, it may mean that we reevaluate our priorities and we ask ourselves, am I living in such a way that is building an earthly kingdom or am I living my life to build a heavenly kingdom? And for those of you who are retired, you're past that that age where you're having to punch the clock or go to the office or whatever else every day. Maybe just maybe God is saying to you, instead of using your retirement to just enjoy life, certainly enjoy life, but maybe God is saying to you, you also need to use your retirement for his glory. Maybe God is calling you to serve in a way that you never could serve while you were in that full-time job. But now, you're able to pick up and go. and You're able to go on that mission trip. You're able to go overseas. You're, you're able to, to donate your time for the glory of God. Here, here's what I know. Regardless of whether you're young, you're middle-aged, or you're a little older and seasoned, you don't want to come to the end of your life and ask, what if? Why? Why didn't I? You're going to want to come to the end and look back and go, I feel good about how I use my time, the opportunities, the things that God entrusted me with for his glory. And if you do that, I tell you, you will enjoy life under the sun because you'll be living the way God created you to live. I want you to bow your head. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, let me tell you, that's step one. Oh, goodness gracious, please, please, please don't leave here without giving your heart and life to Jesus. It's simple. Acknowledge your rebellion, your sin, your need. Place your trust in the one who gave his life on the cross for you. Surrender your life to him. It's that simple. And he'll save you. His Holy Spirit will come into your life. 
He'll make you brand new. If you're here, you're a Christ follower already, then let me challenge you. Look at how you're using your time. Are you ready to stand before God? Really? And give an account for every hour of every day that you spent? Let's make sure as Christ followers we begin to live our life in a way that brings glory to the one who gave his all for us. Father God, we come to you this morning thanking you for the gift of time. And Father, I pray that we will use the time you have given us wisely. Lord, I pray for me personally. I don't know how much time I have. Lord, I pray that I'll use it in a way that honors and pleases you. And I pray that, Father, for every person here. Help us to see our time as a gift. Give it back to you for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name.